Dancing in the apocalypse! I gotta get up at 5 o'clock in the morning and sparkle, Neely, sparkle! I know what some of your big city no bra wearing hairy legged women livers might say. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Maximum Film! It's episode 246, and I'm back on the sticks, playing video games, that is. Uh, yeah, 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 it's your host, Siffy Wadiway, and in the booth with me are my friends. So let me introduce you to them. First up is the Christmas Zaddy himself, superstar critic, Alonzo Duralde. What's good? Well, Ify, I'm going to be parsing through what on the sticks means for a while, I guess. But um, what's good with me is that I have officially been dubbed an LGBTQ plus media elite uh, because that was an email that I got from Universal uh, that apparently I was part of a select group of people who had an early peek at the Red Band trailer for the Billy Eichner rom-com Bros, which Universal is putting out this fall. And I have to say, like, I, I never want to get too excited about a trailer. We've all been misled in that direction before. I mean, we've, we've, we've seen great trailers for shitty movies and shitty trailers for great movies. Uh, but this is a really funny trailer. And it is, like, very unapologetically queer in a sexy way, which is astonishing, especially since this is the first sort of major studio queer movie you know we have fire island around the corner which is a searchlight film that's going to be premiering on hulu but this is like universal not focus universal is putting this thing out and um you know a lot of a lot of great folks are in it uh, it's a terrific like heavily stacked cast an entirely queer cast even playing the straight roles uh so you know i, I am i am tentatively excited because you know again trailers can't put too much investment in them but i'm absolutely excited to see this thing. Ooh. i'm sure we will discuss that that motion I picture. I have a hunch, yes, that will be happening. Yeah. The hugest of hunches. It's right up uh, our gay alley. Yeah, yeah. As it were. <laughs> you know who's right up our alley? Our Midwest alley? Uh, that is none other than the queen of Midwest herself, superstar programmer, producer, Drea Clark. I don't know if right up our alley or right you up our Midwest alley. You opened that door, alley. so I... I know, it's my... Yeah, I was yeah. like, I, I was, did that, and I, I did not know that I was like, oh, you're in your sticks? I'll show you. <laughs> like, I really tried to up you on that one. But speaking of queer, for real, um, you guys, I am so enamored with Heartstopper no. on Netflix. You, you know Ooh. well that I... I, like, I just watched Moonlight, Moonlight, Moon Knight in the last uh, week or two. <laughs> two very different I was waiting, things. very different. <laughs> I was waiting till they were all out because I like to marathon. Mm. Heartstopper is one of the rare shows that I'm pacing. Like, it's like wow. Alonzo's been trying to teach me this. And I'm finally getting it because there is so much joy in this show and i love it because i love i love teen shows anyway i love a little teen romance and this film has or film tv show has several different queer couples falling in love and it's set in the real world in that you know there's like darkness and one of them was bullied at one time but you're not seeing you're that's not the stuff you're getting like they have supportive parents and teachers they have like their own like friend groups they're out it is just this raw young falling in love and i literally am like oh my god like every episode i'm just like oh no oh he's gonna hold his hand oh he's gonna hold his hand it's ridiculous no my it, cats are terrified it, 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 i'm sure it is the comfortiest of comfort food i i love that series so much i've actually gone back and started reading some of the graphic novels that they're based yeah. on uh, yeah i'm i'm in the tank for for heartstopper yeah. no question bless it Ooh. bless it 
Well, you know, we always uh, oftentimes have an amazing guest. Today is no different. We have superstar film critic Carlos Aguilar. What's good? Hello, everyone. Um, I don't know if this is good or not, but I do love a good murder show. And I've been watching The Worst Roommate on Netflix. Um, it feels like a comfort thing for me. Like, you know, I'm always watching like our house films or the new stuff. And like watching murder shows is kind of like comforting in a weird kind of twisted way. So that's what's pretty good. I'm also in Chicago in the Midwest. So uh, that's good. Yeah, too. you are. Nice. <laughs> Uh, myself and producer Marissa, another queen of the Midwest, welcome you from uh, afar. I mean, you're there and, and you know, we're not, <laughs> but welcome. She's enjoy. still the queen. Now, is this a true crime show or just a, like it a... It is. It is okay. a true crime show about the worst roommates, which they use it very loosely. Some of them are actually landlords and not roommates, but it's basically people that you move in with that you don't know and they turn out to be murderers. You know, they're all usually the... And they're all based on, you know, true cases. So it's pretty twisted, but um, it's also... Also, like just the episode by episode, episodic, so you don't have to spend seven hours trying to figure out what really happened. It's just sure. you know, unitarian stuff, just one and done. Ooh, so, yeah, fair enough. Ify, yeah. what what's good, sir? Oh, what's good with me? Oh, you know, just when I'm um, coming back from my whirlwind trip in Europe. Yeah, you uh, are. Yeah, How's that, that jet was, lag? Oh, man, I'm back. You know, as, as a party animal myself, I like to game the system and I will sleep <laughs> on the uh, where I'm going schedule before I fly out to kind of reset it. Uh. And it worked. I'm back. I'm feeling good. I mean, it's it's it was. Yeah. Munich has my heart um it was a good time italy was wonderful pompeii the ashes uh you know the drawn dicks on the wall no one talks about that there's a lot of dicks in pompeii uh because you know um back in roman times that was a sign of good luck so <laughs> they drew dicks like in the gladiators area to be like good luck bro and i was like wow how little men have changed. Yeah, did anyone try and use that as a defense in American Vandal? <laughs> oh, oh no. this is a this is an ancient uh, historic <laughs> thing. It's a real big sign of respect. It sounds like a movie too. There's a lot of dicks in Pompeii, you know, like a catchy <laughs> title that will end up in competition of Venice in a couple years. And yeah. other stories. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh, well, we wow. missed you. We're glad you're home. Yes, we'll yeah. safely. Well, well, thank you so much, uh, because I'm excited to talk about something that we've kind of mumbled and rumbled about up until this episode. That movie is on the count of three. Gerard Carmichael's directorial debut right here on this app. You gotta see it. You're gonna love it. You'll know what we think about it in just a second. And later, we'll pick our dream cinematic driving duos. But first... It's time for Ididic, short for Is This Important? Do I Care? It's the movie news segment where we go through the week's movie news and decide once and for all if it's important and if we care. So, Alonzo, why don't you kick this thing off? Oh, I would love to. So, uh, <laughs> stop the presses, everybody. In case you needed a yet, yet another reminder of what a dumb idea it was to have Twitter vote for imaginary Oscar categories, we now know this. Multiple reports this week say that both Snyder's zombie movie Army of the Dead and his super special cut of Justice League got, quote, thousands of fake votes, unquote, for hashtag Oscars fan favorite and hashtag Oscars cheer moment, respectively. Is this important? Do you care? Wait, wait, hold on, hold on. <laughs> Stop the presses real quick. Are you telling me, Alonzo, 
the 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 same group of fans who are able to uh, get a uh, get false virality on Twitter by using bots to get like restore the Snyderverse and restore the Snyder Cut and restore this and that no use the same methods to rig the Oscars. It's shocking, I know, but they Bodie McBoatfaced it both categories <laughs> oh yeah no we we like everyone kind of knew that these snyder weirdos were going to do it they have the technology <laughs> they've, they've been using it all this time like truly like for fun use a burner uh but go on twitter and just say something negative about Zack snyder just just say it and find a million random like name numbers in your replies <laughs> telling you how wrong you are and it's like oh yeah this must be a real human being <laughs> who joined twitter this month yeah, yeah. Th- those fans what they have are a very particular set of skills skills they have acquired over a long career and skills that make them a nightmare for people <laughs> like us which may be something that Liam Neeson has said. I certainly feel it right now. <laughs> F their skills, F their bots, F the fact that it's May and we get to talk about the fan favorites at the Oscars again, <laughs> our favorite category. Flash enters yeah. the speed force, y'all, where we're all we're all feeling it. You know, yeah. recently I, I took an Uber from an event home and then this person, the Uber driver, asked me what I did for a living, and then you know I said I write about movies, and he was a Snyder fan. And he just proceeded for the rest of the ride to talk about this. And it was the first time I actually encountered someone that was like that, you know, sort of invested, like in like deliberately being happy about the Oscar things. And then I thought of tweeting about it and then I realized that I shouldn't. I was like, I was gonna tweet about the experience of you know getting in this Uber ride. I was like, maybe not. Maybe yeah. yeah. No good can maybe come of it. as well. Yeah. Yes. But I, I yeah. think again, this underscores when whenever I try and mention like, look, don't take the audience vote on Rotten Tomatoes or, you know, seriously, because like the critic vote on Rotten Tomatoes, whatever your feelings about it, at least there's a process by which you have to be approved to have that number counted. And anybody can go vote on the audience thing. I know for a while they were connecting it to Fandango where you had to have bought a ticket for the movie, but I don't know if that's really the case anymore. And there've been so many cases where, you know, bad faith actors go in and juice the numbers in one direction or another for nonsense reasons. So yeah, that's what happens Academy when you Open it up to the internet. <laughs> but obviously, we were still we're thrilled that it won. You guys, oh. I mean, thrilled. sure, who could forget? Kudos. All right, um, you guys. Speaking of movies, Adele Hanel steps away from the film industry for political reasons. You may remember French actor Adele Hanel from 2019's Portrait of a Lady on Fire, my favorite movie. You haven't seen her in a movie since, and this week she told the German magazine fact why that is. Hanel said that not only did she step away from an upcoming sci-fi project she was attached to, quote, the film industry is absolutely reactionary, racist, and patriarchal. When it comes to the Me Too movement, women's issues, or racism, the film industry is extremely problematic. I don't want to be a part of that anymore. Instead, she plans to focus on theater, but said she'd make exceptions for directors like Celine Siama, as well as upcoming and new talent. Is this important? Do you care? I, oh, and uh, she's not wrong. I, <laughs> we could lead with that. I was oh, going to yeah, say, I, yeah, absolutely she's not wrong. And, and you know, I, I, I kind of take it as a given that anybody who, who wants to work in the film industry 
goes in understanding this, knows they're going to have to deal with it, has to decide how much garbage they want to put up with and what, you know, sort of structures they're going to put in place to kind of keep themselves out of as much of it as possible. But if you want to get up and walk away, I defend that. And especially if you are talented enough where you can sort of set your own parameters and be like, eh, not my sandbox. Going to go, going to go over here to the, you know, to the Grand Guignol or whoever the theaters in Paris are, you know, (laughs) and do, do my own thing. Like good honor. Cause yeah, she's, she ain't wrong. Yeah. I, I, I feel the same way, but different. Like, I'm like, yeah, she's not wrong, but it's like, yeah, the world is racist. Also, you think theater isn't racist. You don't think any institution that people of color step into doesn't have racism i get you know you're you know definitely do what you do need to do but feels right but to be like you know hollywood is reactionary and then here's my reaction she's not even talking about hollywood though she's talking about the french French film industry too oh man i'll say too in in a broader context of this she very famously left um the Cesars. The, the Cesars in like 2019, 2020. Basically, Roman Polanski won. Yeah, and oh, yeah he was I remember in the that. heart of the Me Too movement. And she stormed out and gave this gorgeous, strident, <laughs> angry speech. And it was. It was like, oh, we're in the heart of this women's reckoning. And you're going to recognize Roman Polanski with the highest honor. And then this, her quote for this in, in the sci-fi project she's alluding to, is where she said she just faced very directly from a male director a lot of ugliness. And I I do appreciate for someone as talented, but also she's very well respected and, you know, a very successful actor. And to be in that place and to put your money where your mouth is in a way that's not, oh, I did a PSA for AMC theaters or whatever. You know, she's she's got an activist heart and is trying to do something mm-hmm. Is she though? Yeah. I mean, I feel like she she was very very selective about the projects that she did though. I feel like now she's probably like now only working with Celine Siama or or or, or a specific talent. So I feel like she's just I don't think she's entirely quitting. It's just you know the, right. the selectiveness yeah. of it all has gotten more sort of like for because you know it's after Portrait she made I think another movie called Dear Skin uh, with the same mm-hmm. director that she was about to make the sci-fi movie with. Uh, and so I feel like, you know, there were very few, like she was very selective all the things that she was doing and not, you know, this sort of statement just proves that she's going to become perhaps more of a reckless, like, you know, Daniel Day-Lewis that only comes out of retirement for, you know, Paul Thomas Anderson, of course, for different, very, very different yeah. reasons. But I mean, I mean, it makes sense that she only wants to work with people that she feels that, you know, represent, you know, the values that she wants to put out there. So hopefully she yeah. works with Celine again. Yeah, I can see it feeling ineffectual in ways because she is just one, like who cares if this actress isn't in certain things. But this got how much ink in the last week? Mm-hmm. How many discussions came up? How many examples came up? How did the behavior of this specific director she was talking about? You know, I think a lot of the feeling of people and and certainly we all feel it from different sides of feeling uh, either underutilized or abused in the process feel um completely isolated and unheard and i you know she's at a point where she can be heard so she will be heard yeah Yeah, i know i just feel like we've been talking we always talking it's always talking talk (laughs) like that's that's where i'm at where it's like what are the institutions that we're putting in place like you know at least when francis mcdormand says something like this then we're talking about writers like what are we doing to actually 
get these people in the places. And to me, it's like, you got your bag, you're at the position where you have the control, and now you're like, I'm gonna dip and I'm calling it out. And it's like, I feel that. But I do think the bag of it is, she has completely said, I'm not going to work unless it's for people I already respect and feel are on the level or new people whose voices can be heard she in France can get money on a project. And if she is going to be working with new upcoming directors who have a whole different mindset, who are not recreating the same garbage that's always been there, then good for her to put her weight there rather than the same established dudes over and over. I mean, it is is always the challenge. Like, do you want to like tough it out and try and change it from within? Or do you just step away and be like, y'all are fucked and and this is too toxic to even try and repair. So, you know, I, I, I respect her choices. And I think that if nothing else, the more we have these kinds of conversations, whichever path it is that, that talent takes, as long as they point this stuff out, I think it, 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 ideally moves us towards fixing things although it's an incredibly taxing and slow process yeah we'll yeah. never see it fixed yeah no yeah. no I not mean, to be not in our super bummer yeah <laughs> i mean but it, it you know it, it, it is like the thing where i think the reason i just have this too is like i've been thinking all the ways that we've seen pros uh progress and and change has been people using their whiteness for power and like even though she's a woman in this industry she's a white woman in france and you know if you see the movies they love that shit out there so that that's why i mean but at the end of the day i think you know it is at least it's being said and it's not something that we hear 20 years from now and it's like why did you leave and it's like because it was racist and i think you're right having that conversation going is good um i just would love more actions than conversation that's not on her to do i just hope yeah. something happens uh you your know. toot your toot is earned my guy <laughs> that toot is earned well you know we, we're gonna stay in europe though because uh jason momoa was in europe and he did a oopsies uh because he has recently apologized after posting photos at the Sistine Chapel during break from Fast X. Shout out to the Fast Family. Shoot. <laughs> uh the Fast Family was recently filming in Italy. Uh, and I was in Italy too. Uh so I I wish I knew. I could have uh, been out there. I could have I could have stopped. International it. stalking. I could have <laughs> yeah, stopped this from happening. Now <laughs> there's even more guilt as I read this. But Jason Momoa took the opportunity to flex his movie star muscles and set up a private tour of the Sistine Chapel. The chapel is, of course, home to Michelangelo's famous ceiling fresco and photographs of the work and the chapel are not usually allowed. Momoa not only took photos of the chapel, he posted them to Instagram. Momoa has since apologized to the people of Italy, albeit in the form of a workout video on JustChair.com. <laughs> let's, let's go. Oh, We're here filming. It's been the time of my life. I'm so happy to be working for Universal and and uh, you know, obviously, Vin and the whole crew picking me. Um, so it's our last day. So come see me today. I'm gonna give this to you guys, but I just also wanted to say that uh, uh, if you ever thought that I disrespected your culture, I, it wasn't my intention. I've um, went out of my way. I came here when I was 19, 20, and I got experience. Uh, it's time to get up. I'm gonna I came here when I was 19, 20 to really experience, you know, the Sistine Chapel and come to the Vatican and, uh, and the Pieta is one of my favorites. And so I, uh, I always wanted to, you know, now that I can, I, you know, gave a wonderful donation to bring my friends and crew because we only had a couple of days off. 
to go experience these places. And then I found people really wanted to take pictures with me, which is very odd. The Church of the Vatican, look at all this wonder. And they want to take pictures of me, which I don't get, but regardless, I did. And um, so I was very respectful and I asked for permission from what I thought would be okay. Hi. Hi. Um, so I don't want to, um, I would never want to do anything to disrespect someone's culture. So I did, I apologize. And uh, that wasn't my intention. And I definitely um, paid to have that private moment and, uh, and give a nice donation to the church. And so um, I love you. Sorry if I offended you. And uh, yeah. my apologies. I just need people to understand who are listening and not watching it how he much he does not care. He's just like, <laughs> I'm saying this like, and also I don't think anyone's even making him doing this. I think people were whining in his comments and he's like, all right, let me just say this thing to get them off my back. This is why we have publicists. <laughs> yeah. To yeah. keep people from having moments like this. The shirtlessness of it? Yeah. Perfection. The to, top talk, to talk about the sister chapel, right? Yeah. Yes. The, the, the vertical <laughs> smartphone. The casual <laughs> reference to the Pieta, one of my favorites. <laughs> the, also, the idea of someone referring to Sorry if I offended your culture and your culture being like Catholicism. <laughs> yeah, like, I mean, be- well, he, here's the thing: he he pissed off the scripting. one religion that loves rules uh, <laughs> more than anyone. Um, <laughs> and yeah, it's so funny because it definitely feels like a thing where like it wasn't it, like there are sometimes these phenomena where like it seems bigger to people because of their comment section than what it is and he's basically like look i paid them and they said i could do it and it's like yeah (laughs) but people are like i don't get to do that so i'm gonna tell you that i didn't get to do that when i was at the sistine chapel and you're breaking the rules that's 15 hail marys 12 (laughs) our fathers i'm only offended that he gave the catholic church money like that's the one part that's my takeaway of like yeah also the idea of looking at this whole scenario from the outside and your takeaway is how dare Jason Momoa pay the cat? How you know how much crap that they have taken money for to hide? <laughs> to, like how many bad idea, bad plans, <laughs> evil actions that they have like accepted? Really, you're gonna get up on Jason Human Labrador Momoa about some selfies? Amazing! I also that- do love that he that he made it was like I don't know why people wanted to take photos of me being in there. You know, kind of very humbly throwing it out there. Like I don't know. Why that was my that- favorite part. <laughs> I, I was like, come on, bro, come on. <laughs> I hope he was also panting and shirtless in the Sistine Chapel. A girl can dream. <laughs> and thank you, Vin Diesel. We got that in there too. So yes. It's a, it was a- oh yeah. Yeah. It's a full bingo card of what the hell was that? <laughs> oh, right. Well, on that explosive ending, we're going to take a break. But when we come back, we'll be talking about On the Count of Three. So uh, you get ready for these messages on the count of one, two, three. Hi, my name is Graham Clark, and I'm one half of the podcast Stop Podcasting Yourself a show that we've recorded for many, many years. And uh, at the moment, instead of being in person, we're recording remotely, and uh, you wouldn't even notice. You don't even notice the lag. That's right, Graham. And uh, the great thing about this... Go ahead. 
No, you go ahead. Okay. And okay, go ahead. And you can listen to us uh, every week on MaximumFun.org. Or wherever you get your podcasts. Your podcasts. Welcome back to Maximum Film. I'm your host, if you're wide away in the studio with me are... Drea Clark. Carlos Aguilar. Alonso Duralde. On the Count of Three is a directorial debut of comedian and writer Gerard Carmichael, who stars in the movie. It premiered at Sundance back in 2021 and has finally made its way to screens big and small this past weekend. So, Alonzo, would you tell us what happens on On the Count of Three? I will. But uh, before we get into that, I wanted to give a quick content warning. Um, This is a movie that is explicitly about suicide. Uh, The plot hinges around characters who are in an acute mental health crisis. And so not only will we be talking about what this film is about, but we'll be bringing those topics up as we discuss the film. So uh, this is as good a time as any to remind everyone to take care of yourselves. Seek help if you need it. If this is not a topic that you want to hear about, skip ahead about 20 minutes. We'll be here for you on the other side. Uh, so on the count of three stars, Gerard Carmichael and Christopher Abbott as lifelong friends, um, they are both in very kind of dark places. Abbott's character uh, had attempted to kill himself a few days earlier and is in a mental institution. Uh, Carmichael's character breaks him out uh, with the intent that the two will shoot each other. But at the last minute, Abbott's character says, no, we should we should have one last day and try and tie up some loose ends. They both uh, deal with people in their lives who have caused them grief. Um, in, in Carmichael's case, it's his stepfather, uh, played by J.B. Smoove. For Abbott, it's a doctor, uh, played by Henry Winkler. Uh, there's also an appearance by Tiffany Haddish as uh, Carmichael's girlfriend, who is pregnant. And uh, over the course of the day, they, uh, you know, interact as friends, but also are clearly sort of facing down a, a very uh, dark circumstances and trying to figure out what's going to happen next for them. And um, it is a bleakly funny movie, but it is a difficult one and that, that deals with heavy subject matter. So, uh, you know, if this does sound like something that you would want to see, you should. But obviously, uh, if, if any of these sound like uh, topics you don't want to get into, then, you know, maybe not. Yes, indeed. Oh, sorry. Um, On the count of three. That's a, yes, a, 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 <laughs> the spelling bee dismount. Um, I didn't know what to expect going into it. All I knew was that it was a really dark comedy and kind of like the synopsis of it. And I already kind of expected it to get pretty dark right there. But like right out the gate, I think one thing I really like about this movie is you have... Kind of like we said in the content warning, uh, we have two people going through a mental health crisis, and I feel like it does a good job kind of like weighing both sides in a way where there's like, you know, someone who is like who is it feels like they're being impulsive and someone who is like definitely made up their mind um, uh, in a way that was like that you kind of see that arc and to see them kind of both kind of switch sides on where they're at throughout the day it was it was very interesting and and to me that was like such an interesting takeaway for me i think this film is a a fascinatingly unique hybrid in that it is i i laughed more at moments in this movie than in anything else i've seen this year like laughed so hard and then like caught myself and was like oh god am i 
terrible because they're it's it's gallows humor like literally and it's these callbacks within moments but it feels very believable of why these characters would be making a quip or saying whatever they're doing or just the like the the humor of hearing someone say i have to thank you for hitting my dad with the crowbar back there like that kind of (laughs) and it's that tied with such an earnest and deep exploration of what uh, depression looks like and what the what people go through and how it weighs on them differently. Like you have these the two characters that you mentioned and they are not exactly the same. They may start in a equal what they see as equal dark places, but you learn their backgrounds and you learn what they've gone through. And I thought it was woven so beautifully. So Carmichael didn't write the film. Ari Katcher and Ryan Welch, who co-created uh, the the Hulu series Rami, um, wrote and the sc- Carmichael show. And, yeah. Okay, and Carmichael show. Yeah. So they wrote the screenplay, and in addition to I think a really strong and and powerful lead performance, what I think Carmichael really brings to this is if you know his stand up and you sort of know his style, where he's not like chasing the punchline and like just sort of rat-a-tatting you where he will let things play out and and sort of you know foster an uncomfortable silence on stage that has the audience kind of like what 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 are we what are we doing where's this going what what," you know that i think he brings a lot of that to to the filmmaking style to the way that he will let scenes play out the way he will let shots just last and and, you know it's it's whoever edited this i think gets the way that Carmichael paces his stand-up, because I think I, I was getting that feeling a lot from the way this plays out. And yeah, it is very funny at times and very always very uncomfortably funny. And a lot of those laughs kind of emerge in the stasis of the moment in that we're not cutting away to the next thing. We're just going to sit there for a moment and understand the awkwardness and the pain and the, 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 the just sort of, you know, uncomfortability of any, of any given moment. I really, I really love the, the sort of the creation of uh, Christopher Abbott's character from the look to the personality and what he brings as a character, but also the way it's written, you know, it's so specifically done with the fact that there's a moment in which he pulls out, you know, his iPod nano and, you know, but just, <laughs> Play, play to play a Papa Roach song that came out in the year 2000. He's wearing sort of like this, you know, uh, blonde of hair, and you know, the, the whole look to me speaks of this very arrested development, like a guy who's you know who's remained in the early 2000s, who never really moved past that, whose you know mental illness has sort of like prevented him from from growing up in a way, and you know he's trapped in this cycle. And just like the way the way he's dressed, you know, his look, and you know the kind of like very sort of like erratic innocence that Christopher Abbott brings to him, you know, throughout and the the monologue that he has with himself always questioning, you know, the power of guns and, you know, his very liberal mindset, but at the same time, he's sort of doing things that are, you know, going against uh, some of his beliefs and, you know, the questions of race that that, that are brought up uh, in the movie. And so I feel like just the construction of this character is, is you know, it's really a, a beautiful merge between, you know, the writing and then what the actor does with it and even, you know, the custom design and the look of it all just really worked for me. The whole gun thread killed me. A terrible sentence I just said, but (laughs) the whole idea of you know the 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 Chekhov guns, paragons. They're introduced in like the first handful of minutes, and like literally no seconds. For seconds, seconds we see them. Yeah, seconds we see them. We're like, oh, there's definitely guns. We're and then uh, you just start to get this just recurring thing about his remorse for being 
anti-gun and then like what the how the guns make him feel and it manages to be very funny very off the cuff but also incredibly introspective like what he's saying culturally about the idea of (laughs) he says something like don't let insecure white men hold one of the like this is a (laughs) bit and again it's it's funny but it is very real yeah no that's you i'm right on that same wavelength with you we're like this is a movie that is talking about like depression and suicide but also does like a runner on gun control in a way (laughs) but when you see the way they've changed and with how they their perspective chains of even having the gun and how they all of a sudden feel power in the way they're interacting with people knowing they have the gun in the moment you see him go to his old bully and he decides against like you're like it really was like wow this movie is able to tackle so many different subjects just through this one you know vehicle and that was that alone was so impressive and beautiful in a way the supporting characters too were also interesting to me, you know, like the bully or the father, you know, these these people around them who are sort of oblivious to the pain they've caused and continue to, you know, sort of live, you know, quote unquote happy and unbothered. And then these two guys are sort of like hypersensitive to like, you know, uh to these things. And like the bully, for example, the 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 way that they remember how things happened when they were in high school is, you know, very distinct and opposite. And just this notion of like, you know, I think that the the, the writing really, you know, goes with these two characters almost giving them a little bit of moral superiority in a way of like you know we notice that you guys are so terrible and we have to put up with all these people who are you know oblivious to what they've done and so uh, or the co-worker you know uh, Carmichael's uh, uh, co-worker oh who's like oh just my. like a happy-go-lucky guy you know happy with his sort of like simple life and how that's incredibly annoying even though he's just a simple nice guy right but even the nuance of that coworker, we only see him again mm-hmm. handful handful of minutes at the beginning. And one, he uses the phrase crack the whip to a black man that he works with <laughs> twice in like 30 <laughs> seconds with with no knowledge of like what he's saying with that. But I like he said because he's being like, oh, I hate to crack the whip. And I, my full body shuddered. I was like, oh my God. And then he said it again. And then he comes in later singing a country song to himself. And I was like, now you have given me a whole world for this doofus. Like, yeah. And there are so many touches. Like the, the other bully that we have, him, that gave me flashes of young adult when Patton Oswalt was talking about like everything he went through. And then Charlize was like, Oh yeah, you're the gay kid or whatever. Like this <laughs> obliviousness. And that that anyway, that intersection to me is really hard to pull off. Like you're either tend to lean that it's funnier or you're tending to lean to like messaging. And this one really rides it the whole time. And it's entirely because every one of these characters is so well thought out and so in the pocket. Yeah, I mean, even Tiffany Haddish gets one scene, and even that one scene is probably some of the best acting I've seen her do, you know, in anything, you know, she's really, you know, being that voice of reason in a very harsh way that's, you know, that sort of cuts through what Carmichael's character, you know, Bal is going through, like, he's sort of like, in this cocoon of what his mind is telling him that is going on and she's like an outside voice that's very harsh in that one scene, so, yeah, even, I really love how even those those kind of, like, one you know bit characters really get a a life in in their dialogue and the way they're presented 
Uh, by the way, I want to go back on that country song for a second because it's like this, <laughs> the most like you know innocuous like Travis Tritt nonsense, you know, uh, uh, which is it's such a great needle drop, especially because this is a movie that starts with the Free Designs "Love You," um, which is also the Jordan Jesse Go theme, but it's a, it's actually uh-huh. a song from the '60s uh, that the the, the Free Designs are, are great and weird and wonderful, and they 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 have these just sort of other worldly harmonies and and uh to go from that to like travis fucking Tritt is just like okay we're we're covering a lot of ground here very quickly and 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 you know it just it just sets you off in this movie like you're just not really sure how he's going to approach this material and where he's going to give you these characters but it's just it 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 it, it threw me off from the from the very beginning and i loved that because i just wanted to know where else it was going to go well, and then they went back to Papa Roach. Like, Papa yes. Roach wasn't just the, like, throwaway joke thing. And there is a great thing yeah, about, the like... The song he tells him not to play, his... he plays it anyway. Yeah, and yeah. then you see him have, like, an emotional sing-along with it. It's so satisfying <laughs> and so terrible because I knew every word. I was like, why how do I know every word to this song? No, it's, it's so funny because it really was funny to me because it was only recently that I realized that uh, Last Resort is about suicide. Like oh, I just, same. like 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 I was just because uh, you know I, my fond memory of it was Mr. Belikoff in middle school playing the riff on the back of his head with his guitar, and I was like, that's the coolest teacher I've ever met. Uh, and they, and now like I I was like bumping it the other day and listening to the words, and I was like, oh, this was really dark, and we were jamming out to it. <laughs> To me, it's really it's it's a hilarious movie. It's also just deeply sad, and I think that that's really where it hit me that that they could strike that balance. You know, there's a moment in a uh, where they're at the office of this doctor that had something to do with you know with Christopher Abbott's character's past, uh, in which he thanks uh, Carmichael for always trying to to bring in out of the uh, you know the funk and sort of like you know sort of save him. And the response is something along the lines of like, you know, clearly it didn't work because look at where we're at right now. And that <laughs> thing is like such a profound, it, I mean, it's it, it's funny, but at the same time, it's like, it's, it's so truthful, you know, and how it also tells you about the, the, the length of the relationship, the depth of yeah. it, you know, that could feel superficial, but just those little moments is, you know, or when he makes a comment about his sad eyes and how they now have a purpose because he's holding a gun. So I think like just the writing is just so, you know, depth and really layer. Yeah. The writing is fantastic. This it did win the screenwriters award for yeah. uh, Sundance. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's also just the every every it's just economical. Like every line hits in numerous ways, and even your interactions. Like there's a point where they go into a convenience store and the clerk is sort of ignoring them or whatever, and then Christopher Abbott freaks out, whatever, and he has this thing like. How the shape of that scene is in unexpected ways, like many of these are, but he also finishes it with this line that eviscerated me. And actually, my friend Tessa brought up specifically as well, which is he's just saying to this very flippant, very like, wait your turn, I'm getting ready. Of And he's like shaking Christopher Abbott as he says it. Like his sad eyes really are sad. And he's not angry at that moment. He just says this despondent thing about it if people need to be heard. And like, you have to be listening. And it's so like, he is just constantly that character trying to break through to the world. And did you find, I love, so this is an all one day movie. Obviously, you know, we, we start in the beginning, we end in the evening. Um, and the fact that they are basically 
they are and also most of the side characters they're all wearing uniforms of what they do and are the whole time like christopher abbott's wearing his sort of hospital gear from the psychiatric thing um gerard has his his like name tag like factory worker thing tiffany haddish is in scrubs their old boss is wearing his like it was something so interesting to me of we're fine with these. These people are representing entire swaths of community, and we get that. I thought that was such an interesting choice. It's also shot on film, which is, I feel like, for a movie like this, people would think that the visuals, you know, uh, are secondary. And I really love how it looks. You know, even the opening scene, just the the, the way that the the colors that Christopher Abbott was wearing against the the pink wall of the strip club where they're about to you know try to kill themselves it's like just the little choices and how you know really the richness of the of the visuals because you know they chose to make it in film and just feel like it really added to you know to the the palette of it all and the rawness of winter in new jersey (laughs) yeah you felt it it didn't feel good yeah the 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 cinematography i'll say too Shooting on film, whatever, you can do pros and cons. In fact, there's entire documentaries about this. I'm sure Martin Scorsese would be thrilled if you watched them. But there was one shot in particular which made me Google, what was this shot on? Because it's when they're in like a medical facility and Christopher Abbott's a white actor, Gerard Carmichael's a black actor, and they are in a two-shot that's backlit and both of them are like crisp but contrasted i i honestly i at that moment was like was this shot on film because you can't there's something about what you're getting in your pixels with a setup like that i promise you this movie is not going to be making you think about things like that it's just how my brain works <laughs> don't let that scare you off so yeah no, i'll tell you the two of the movies that i really loved at sundance 2021 were this and pleasure and they've just now finally opened over this past weekend so uh I, i'm really glad that they're they're out for people to talk about they're both you know provocative and controversial and complicated in their own ways but but i i am thrilled that that a a, a wide audience is going to get to see them and talk about them and and you know debate their uh, their merits mm-hmm. vote 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 yes yes let's get the vote in uh look, you, since you started the chant Rhea, you start the vote I love chanting. You know me. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, this is for sure a screen it. I think this movie is so special. I've been waiting for, you know, 18 months for a larger audience to see it and be able to discuss it because I also think it's my favorite kind of movie. I, again, I can't stress enough. There's there's darkness and, and weight to this because they are dealing with dark heavy things but they're doing it meaningfully and with a lot of humor it is a very easy watch in the same way that it's a very challenging watch and i'm never going to make that sound like it's um the same movie but i found both those things to be true because i this movie as a catalyst to discuss things with other people has been enormously helpful and i find it humanistic and uh wonderful i think it's a treat yeah, I'm I'm also a screen it. I think that uh, a lot of times it's easy for films when they get into this sort of 
heavy, you know, personal subject matter to then suddenly feel like they also have to be heavy or they're not treating it seriously. And so this one, I think, does the the much greater degree of difficulty, which is let's find the moments of humor and humanity and all this while at the same time taking this, you know, this material as seriously as it deserves and and being as honest and true about the emotional heft of what these characters are going through. Um, but, you know, pick up on, on something that both Dre and, and Carlos pointed out. I wanted to just give a shout out to uh, Jennifer Stroud, who is the costume designer, uh, I think did a really great job and also did the costumes for one of my favorite um, cable Christmas movies of late uh the christmas setup which was also an lgbt movie and by the way this is uh, gerard cormichael was not out when this movie played at sundance and he is now and i don't know if that changes anything or not but it's just kind of fascinating that just to see where his career has been going in the last couple of years um you know we do from from these those amazing shorts on hbo that he did about his own family and about his neighborhood and stuff to now this feature film i'm very excited to see where he goes next all right, Carlos. What do you what, what do you what do you say? Yeah, I mean, screen it. I'm a big, big fan of this movie. I mean, you know, but I saw it at Sundance. I didn't know what to expect, and you know, it just blew me away. The balance of writing, the you know, the acting, the, all the parts of this one really come together for me. It's a tight package. I think it's like 82 minutes or something like that. It's very short, um, but it really packs a punch uh, in, in the way that it makes you laugh and really consider all these topics, uh, you know, profoundly and. Yeah, I think that to me, Christopher Abbott's performance is a, is a scene stealer time and time again. Uh, but he only works that well because uh, Carmichael's playing sort of the stoic straight man, uh, you know, uh, opposite him. So I feel like they really create a, a powerful uh, sort of duo in this. Um, yeah, definitely screen it. I uh, can't wait for more people to watch it. Yes, indeed. It's a screener for me as well. Really enjoyed this. I think uh, every, everything everyone was saying is right. It's... It's it's interesting to see a subject uh, like this tackled even back in Sundance. I didn't know what they were going to do with it, but I'm glad we can finally watch it. And uh, I think you all should, too. With that, I'll say we'll be right back after we hear from another show for Maximum Fun. So stay right there. Did your neighbor back into your car? Bring that case to Judge Judy. Think the mailman might be the real father? Give that one to Judge Mathis. But does your mom want you to flush her ashes down the toilet at Disney World when she passes away? Now that's my jurisdiction. Welcome to the court of Judge John Hodgman, where the people are real, the disputes are real, and the stakes are often unusual. If I got arrested for dumping your ashes in the Jungle Cruise, it would be an honor. I don't want to be part of somebody getting a super yacht. I don't know at what point you want to go into this, but we've had a worm bin before. Available free right now at MaximumFun.org. Judge John Hodgman, the court of last resort when your wife won't stop pretending to be a cat and knocking the clean laundry over. Welcome back to Maximum Film. I'm your host, Sophie Wadiway. In the studio with me are Alonzo Duralde, Carlos Aguilar, Drea Clark. In On the Count of Three, Val and Kevin spend a lot of time driving around town, making it the latest in a grand cinematic tradition of movies about buddies in cars driving around town. Sometimes getting coffee. So if you could put any two actors in a car together for the duration of a movie, who would you choose and what kind of movie would it be? Did this make you guys automatically think of people who'd already been paired in driving movies? Oh, 100%. <laughs> because the very first thing that came to mind 
made me so happy. It was very hard to see beyond that. And that was Gina Davis and Samuel L. Jackson in The Long Kiss Goodnight, Mm -hmm. who have like really intense rapport, but it's very funny and very cutting. And they're in the car and it's a whole thing. And as soon as that came to mind, that and then Midnight Run was also in there. But it was very hard for me. I did come up with someone else. But I also would say I would watch a movie that was just the road trip part of Gina Davis and Samuel L. Jackson. Then, now, yes, whenever. Yeah, awesome. our, our good friends uh, Winter Mitchell and Karen Tongson just got done curating this really extraordinary series of events in Los Angeles that was sort of branded as uh, Generation X. And it was everything from, from you know, music and, and culture and film to food. Um, and uh, an event that they had that I did not get to attend in person, unfortunately, but I, I think there is video of it online, is a conversation with Sandra Bernhardt and Kevin Smith and I think the two of them in a car could be really really interesting (laughs) my mind just imploded my mind just black bolted is that now Um, uh, I love that. If you are not familiar with the ramblings of either Sandra Bernhardt Bernhard or Kevin Smith, please go listen and then imagine. Also, can all of these be in the same yellow Jeep that was in On the Count of Three? Because that <laughs> yeah. Jeep was hysterical to me as well. Uh, you know, I mean, look, I I, 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 I like a, a road trip in a muscle car, frankly, like, you know, oh, uh, uh, grandma with Lily Tomlin uh, driving around Ooh. all day with um, Julia uh, Garner. Yes. Yes. Uh, you know, I think that's like in an old Cadillac or something. But yeah, uh, yeah I, you know, but yes, yellow Jeep also works. Uh, my Personally, my my dream vehicle has always been a Volkswagen thing. So I think if I had a movie budget, I would I would at least rent one just, you know, to, you. to have that moment. I love it. I will want Isabel Huppert because, of course, she needs to be in everything. Sure. She's driving Simon Rex around. Stop uh, it. <laughs> that's, a pic- I honestly, that's a picture. I, I, I truly am like, oh, wait, hold on. Who can we pitch this to? <laughs> I love it. Isabel, can you drive stick? <laughs> yes. Isabel Huppert drive. He'll yeah, be very, ra- very raunchy on his part, and she'll play, you know, the very sort of like elegant French woman as she's driving an old school car. You know? They better have I, I, sex in that car, Carlos. Of course. Yeah. Yes. Thank you. I mean, <laughs> it's right there. I would have been disappointed. Yeah, no, I was, I, yeah, I was thinking Samuel L. Jackson because, you know, we see, we know his brand so much. Uh, he has uncle energy that I think we need to take advantage of. So I'd like to pair him with a child actor. So someone like Marseille Martin or Miles Brown, who, uh, from Blackish, yeah. uh, just but like to see him having the like you know a a a like coming of age comedy where he has to go cross country with one of these kids, and because I think the 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 joke in comedy of of Samuel L. Jackson is putting in him in movies where he can't say motherfucker, and then seeing all the different ways he's saying motherfucker without saying motherfucker. And uh, that that that's how I would take advantage. Do you of mean full. like the monkey the monkey fighting snakes on this Monday to Friday plane? <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's exactly what I mean. Counterpoint: I'm a huge fan of movies where children swear, so maybe Ooh. he can't swear, but the kid does the whole time. Oh, I'm, I'm, you got me locked in. You got like, me locked in. That would be my sort of thing. Uh, I'll say my my honorable mention was. Um, and I feel like this isn't the first time I've asked for justice for these two, but Sandra Oh and Jodie Comer oh, in go. a rom-com that involves taking a road trip somewhere, 
justice for Killing Eve. Yep. <laughs> uh, yeah, if I have a backup, I think it would be um, Guinevere Turner and Phoebe Waller-Bridge. <laughs> <laughs> they also better have sex in that car. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Let's hear it for Yellow Jeeps, you guys. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Yellow Jeeps. <laughs> 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 All right. Well, now it's time for staff picks. It could be any movie at all. Lonzo, why don't you kick us off? So, yeah, this is a movie that is making its way around the country. I know it's been playing in art houses, not just in, in L.A. and New York, but also in some smaller markets. I don't think that it is streaming yet, but it is a Kino Lorber title, so uh, I think it will be. Uh, it's, it's, the film is called Hit the Road. It is the directorial debut of Pana Panahi, whose uh, father, Jafar Panahi, is one of uh, Iran's most well-known filmmakers. He's the guy who's been under house arrest for quite some time and isn't supposed to make movies, but somehow still does. Um, they get snuck out of the country on, you know, uh, thumb drives hidden in cakes. Um, anyway, so, but, you know, the, this is now his, his son's directorial debut, although he's worked on his father's films. And, uh, it is so smart and gorgeous. It is about a, a, a family, you know, two older parents, an adult son and a, and a very young son um, that are on a road trip. And uh, it, it becomes more clear as, as we move along that for some reason or other, the older son is being taken to the border where he can be smuggled out of the country for reasons that are never completely um, elucidated. But just the the family dynamic is so strong in this film, and the way that Panahi is so comfortable, just from again, this is another really extraordinary first film. Uh, the way he'll move the camera around, and the way he won't move the camera, and just like let very long scenes play out in one sort of you know like much so much of the movie is in master shot, and you wouldn't think that that would be exciting to watch, but it is to the point where there's like a, a an important sequence toward the end of the film where the camera is so far away from the people that like they're basically just dots on the horizon but you know exactly what's going on it's all in their voices it's all in where they're standing and they're who's next to whom um yeah it, it's it's just a really great movie and I, I hope more and more people um get a chance to check it out hit the road dre has got me on the spelling bee thing i can't stop yes <laughs> mine is emergency Mm. Emergency, speaking of another Sundance film from the most recent one that is also a real kind of tonal hybrid in ways that it is looking at hijinks of college students out partying for an evening, um, except for the crux of it is there's two black guys who are friends and their um, Latino roommate. They basically discover a passed out young white woman in their home ah. and decide... Um, how do we deal with this without getting shot or arrested? Which, again, heavy, weighty subject, but handled with a lot of nuance and levity at moments. It stars R.J. Seiler, whom I loved in Me and Earl and the Dying Girl and um, Sabrina Carpenter. And it is by Carrie Williams, who was a music video director and had a film at Sundance the previous year called R Hashtag J. 
think is how they're oh, styling right. that. And um, anyway, I'm excited for what all he's up to. It comes out in theaters this week, but it will be on Amazon Prime in just a week after that, uh, May 27th. So emergency. And if you go to the wrap, you can read our Sundance review by Carlos Aguilar. No way! Ooh, yeah, oh God, I hope it was a good one. <laughs> yeah, I liked it. Yeah, and the, the, the writer of the film yeah. is actually was just Oscar nominated this year. Uh, Kristen Davila. She's a, a Mexican American oh, yeah. woman, and she she was nominated for the short film uh, Please Hold. There you go. That is the name of the, of the short. Um, so yeah, and I was also thinking of Hit the Road because I also love that movie, and I got to interview the director. So um, oh, cool. so I'll recommend a different one, uh, Vortex by Gaspar Noé which is not a fun watch. Uh, it's out there in theaters now. And, you know, if you know anything about Gaspar Noé and his films, he's the Argentine-French uh, director behind Enter the Void and Climax and Irreversible. And this one is sort of his most accessible and, you know, more uh, em- emotional film. Uh, still very sort of harsh and, and hard-hitting. is about a, a couple... Uh, an elderly couple who you know are living in an apartment alone and the the woman is uh, has dementia and it's done in split screen so throughout the film you're watching sort of the two versions of how they live separate lives in this same apartment because uh the the the, the husband is played by Dario Argento Argento the legendary f- uh, horror filmmaker uh and he doesn't have dementia but he's struggling you know with his health as well and it's sort of very you know uh, cruel and and not sort of sugarcoating you know what it means to uh, to face that and you know be elderly and sort of like your body not responding and you know what you know what is the destiny of these people does does life matter at all the things that we do over here matter or not so it's very bleak and harsh but I do think that there's something you know beautiful in the way that uh, Noah sort of approaches uh, you know uh, this subject in kind of in a way of like nothing matters and because of that everything matters and you know it's it's a it's a harsh movie but I just feel like it's also formally interesting with the split screen and it's playing theaters now. Uh, so I would recommend that if you're up for for something that's you know great filmmaking but difficult to watch. Mm. Ify, what about you? Mine is just going to be another driving around movie. Lots of driving, Good. lots of stuff happening, lots of lots of men. And it was written by a man, Michael Mann. Mine is Collateral. Uh, yeah, yeah. So if you want to see people, <laughs> see people driving around, see Jamie Fox, you know, at his most Fox. Before you know, because a lot of people forget that he be acting, and this is another <laughs> one of those movies where he be acting. So uh, yeah, check that out. But uh, what, I'm what thrilled I- that you just did a collateral pitch, and we're like, I'm not going to mention Tom Cruise. No, 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 no. Uh, he's dead to me. <laughs> Just kidding. Yeah, no, Tom Cruise. Yeah, no, it is an all-star class. Also, I know. Tom Cruise is. In oh yeah, yeah. Also, Tom Cruise. You can check. You could check him out if you're into that. You know, uh, but you know, yeah. Tom Cruise, Jamie Foxx, Mark Ruffalo, Jada Pinkett Smith. You know, even though I know, I know people got thoughts. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, check it out. See it's, the it's previous a- conversation about tweeting about Zack Snyder fans. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> I know, right? Yeah. Well, on a better note, thanks to our guest Carlos Aguilar. Uh, is there is Yay. there anything you want to plug or where people can find you? Let them know so they can know how great you are and follow you and champion you. Um, yeah, I'm always on Twitter, either complaining about movies or posting the things I write about movies. So it's it's one or the other. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Carlos uh, underscore film. All right, Carlos does um, always bring 
to light films I've never heard of, which is rare because I hear about a lot of them <laughs> and he champions a lot of wonderful things. And his, I always like your writing, but your piece on, on the count of three, I thought was very beautiful. So follow him and support him, but you can start with that one if you'd like. Ooh, yes. Thank you. No, thank you. Andrea and Alonzo, thank you for another wonderful show. It's good to see y'all back over Welcome here. Welcome home. You too, yeah. baby boy. Oh, wow. And you, the listener, if you have a comment or suggestion about this week's show, tweet at us at Maximum underscore film. Our Facebook group can be found at www.facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash Maximum Film or send us an email at Maximum Film at MaximumFun.org. Or, you know, send us a voice memo for the hotline so we can hear that voice. Our producer is Marissa Flaxbart, our super producer. And our senior producer is Laura Swisher, our senior producer. This is a production of Maximum Fun. MaximumFun.org Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.